Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. This is the program where uh, we give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Welcome to the program. Three hours of information. Sometimes we have fun, you know, every fourth show for about 10 minutes. We laugh. Uh, anyway, welcome to the program. A great uh, Tuesday morning to you, and um, we've got a great show today. Now, if you've been following at all what's going on in Indiana, in Arkansas, kind of uh, LGBT rights, religious rights, religious freedoms, it's, it's been a pretty tense debate. Today, we are going to be interviewing Governor Mike Levitt, who was uh, Utah's governor, for almost 12 years, also a member of the cabinet of President Bush, his uh, EPA director, and also his Health and Human Services um, secretary. We're going to be interviewing him. He was involved in some legislation here in the state of Utah where they they forged a pretty interesting solution that uh, may be held up for others as a, as a framework that you might be able to use. And I wanted to talk to him to find out uh, just what, you know, what he learned in that process of building a bridge between two disparate needs. Anyway, we'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show today. Also, later on, some programs are being taught in, uh, in prison to create better fathers, better parents. And... Uh, it's an interesting uh, little program where they actually use dolls to teach men how to be a better father. And we'll be talking about that. And then a little bit later as well, we're going to be talking to Heather Johnson, who's going to teach us all about how to get your kids to get along. Quit fighting, folks. We'll get into all of that uh, coming up later in, uh, in the show. But first, uh, let's get to some headlines. Are there any headlines, Terry? There's always headlines. What what might be one? Do you know who Senator Corker is? Oh yes, from Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Senator Bob Corker. He's the uh, what is he? He's the new chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, and he's turning out to be a key player in this Iran nuke deal. If it's is actually he? going to happen, well, now why him? As it says, I, I've been reading this the last couple of days, and there's, there's sometimes you'll see a story, and you're like, I'm not sure if that's anything important. Yeah, and it we just, need to follow that. As it keeps going, there's more stuff. He's trying to marshal a bipartisan coalition for his bill to force President Obama to send any agreement with Iran to Congress for approval. Huh. The bill could get enough votes to overcome a veto by Obama. At the White House, nobody likes his bill, which would give Congress a 60-day window to debate the Iranian agreement before voting yes or no or taking no action. Hmm. But does he have – are there really that many votes, 60 votes against it? Well, that's what's interesting. The Republicans, obviously. There's 48. Right. But there are Democrats who are really unsure about this. Probably those that are way pro-Israel are hearing Israel's voice now. And so they're finding – uh, that he, he's finding he's being able to bring people 
over to this bill that would slow down the process. Interesting. Give them a 60-day window to debate this and talk about it, look at it. Yeah. And the White House just wants to get this done. Get her done. <laughs> and so they're trying to get uh, Corker on their side, okay. Senator Corker, so that yeah. he's part of the process. Yeah. To kind of speed up and get well, past some of these, this these would issues. Be, that would be a smart play by the White House to get, I mean, interestingly, get Congress involved. How weird would that be? And then it says the White House now views its central challenge as either negotiating a compromise with Mr. Mr. Corker or stopping enough Democrats from joining him so that he is short of a veto-proof party or majority. Just get him involved, man. Just yeah. get him well, involved. If he doesn't want to be involved, then you have to block him, right? That's how politics I know works. But, but it's just it's you're you're on this sort of time crunch. Yeah. And the last thing they want to do is come to an agreement June thirtieth. Yeah. And then you know what they ought to do? Drag I, our I, feet I don't know if trying to talk about, about it. This. Maybe they ought to have like Bibi Netanyahu come on over and speak to Congress, but don't tell President Obama. They did that. Oh, have they done that? Yeah. Wasn't really effective. I, th- I thought I was making up something new there. But uh, Israel is interjecting themselves into this by calling senators and are they really talking to them? Yeah. Wow, the tangled web. Yeah, it's all intertwined in this this thing. But but Israel really does not want this to go. Isn't forward. it crazy that They're they really be, concerned that the White House or we are in a state of politic where our government might be able to negotiate with what used to be. Our number one enemy or number top three enemy and yet we can't negotiate with ourselves. We can't negotiate with our own Congress and president but we can negotiate a deal. With a foreign power. With a foreign power. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. The city council elections in Ferguson, Missouri are today. Oh, cool. They'll – what is it? They're – three – there's three seats on the council. Yeah. They're all up for grabs. All members were white. Yeah, They're, change uh, that up a bit. I, they are not seeking re-election. They all stepped away. So oh, now, did they? Did they? Yeah, all but three of them stepped down. Probably forced out. So well, I mean, it's hard to stay. Emails, you know. The I thought Department I did a really Ju- good job. <laughs> Department of Justice <laughs> reports. Uh, so there is a an opportunity for change. An opportunity for the the citizens. Are people stepping up to to want to? Yeah, to run to run. Yes, cool. There's there's six I think there's six people that have stepped up to run, but you got twenty one thousand people in the city. Then the, the the answer is how many people show up to vote? Well, but What's one turnout? of the things we talked about twenty one thousand people in the city, but like I think we found out ninety percent of them have uh, have a felony on their record. Can you run if you have a felony? I I don't know. Was that a real stat? It was. But no, it was like that. No, they were the, all. The, they had warrants. They had warrants for arrest. because the the, yeah. the so that, that may not be a were, felony. That yeah. could be a misdemeanor. So that's uh, – But they got to get in there. So they got to change their own if government. If this is as important as the, the citizens have been saying, yeah. then the turnout should be fairly high. Well, this is cool. We got to so, watch this. Pay attention to that. I want to hear more about that. The uh, the jury in the Boston Marathon bombing trial, they've got the case now. They, yeah. Both sides have rested. The defense and prosecution have delivered. Now it's the, up to the jury. The uh, Interesting that the uh, – the what's it the the Zarnar or the Jokar Zarnarev the, his lawyers are saying that he was a pawn in this that okay. his brother was yeah. the mastermind he just followed along I was just, did what his brother said I was just all I did was carry the bomb so I he shouldn't die he shouldn't be executed 
And the prosecution's like, no, he's, he was a willing participant. He was a believer. He did this of his free will. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. I think there's a point where you just can't claim. But, you know. So the jury has to figure that out. Um, today, Rand Paul declares. Today's the day. His intent to run. or Libertarians are giddy. Hillary Clinton should declare soon. Soon. She's got her uh, 30,000 square feet more than President Obama had with his uh, election headquarters. Donald Trump looks like he's gearing up for some announcement from Trump Towers. They're saying the next two weeks she'll she'll declare and then her initial focus on intimate events putting her in contact with voters. So instead of big... You know, rallies and type of so stuff. She'll have intimate. She's gonna have meetings. like little hot dog yeah. parties, barbecues, barbecues, hamburgers. She wants to avoid soaring speeches delivered to big rallies. They'll risk uh, the risk. They convey some of the cloak of inevitability that contributed her loss in 08, That yeah. she's this big, lofty, untouchable. You can't relate with this candidate type of a yeah. a person. So she wants to make it personal. Wow. Well, all right. She's trying different tact. You know what? It's good. It's good. We, it's, it's probably really good, isn't it? Because, you know, it's the fun thing about this. The more the merrier. Let's get everybody we can in this process. Absolutely. So now we've got enough. Uh, we've got to go to Mike Levitt. Governor Mike Levitt. We, I, I recorded um, this interview with Governor Levitt um, a couple days ago. We had to do it right when on his schedule. So – this is uh, – we, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Governor Mike Levitt is going to be talking about that new legislation that they passed in Utah that is, is kind of a transcendent uh, bill that probably would have been healthy if other states, a la Indiana, possibly Arkansas, had modeled what they did here in the state of Utah. Governor Mike Levitt will be talking about balancing LGBT rights and also the right of religion. Up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, we are talking about... Um, leadership in a way that that I really I've I've wanted to get to this topic, and it's so touchy that I've I've wondered maybe the healthiest way that we can talk about it. Um, and, and you notice on the show a lot of times we just talk about the fact that we need better leadership, we need more um, leadership, and, and the hard part about being a leader in today's uh, you know in today's world is. We have this immediate media cycle where all of a sudden one very simple basic issue can now make it make it nationally and and can take off and can start to polarize and um, and pull people apart and and one topic that has come up very much like that is this is the Indiana you know uh, religious freedom law that that they proposed and. Um, you heard about it, and and part of what this comes from is there's a there's a huge debate in the country between what is a right, um, and and just kind of an inherent right to be able to to be protected, and um, and what is 
is not necessarily right. And and one of the areas that has really been hit hard and probably in a way unfairly and yet uh, is starting to take ground is um, some of the rights of LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, transgender people have um, – they felt basically stomped on because they didn't have the rights to uh, access – you know their partners' medical records. They didn't have the rights or the freedom to uh, basically receive um, inheritance from a, a partner that had passed. They they didn't have the same legal rights as a regular partner, which you know down in history has basically led to uh, all of the pushes for um, marriage and gay marriage and and equal uh, access to marriage and other laws and other and other um, rights like that. Well, one of the dilemmas that's also come along with that is then all of a sudden religions start to become worried. Churches, pastors become worried if they're going to have the rights uh, and their freedom to actually say, great, I don't want to perform a wedding for LGBT. I don't, I don't want to have to perform a wedding that's against my value system. And so that caused a lot of issues, right? And the hard part is we probably historically don't have the leadership model intact to handle such a touchy issue. It polarizes two different politics, two different uh, sides of, um, of our country and our world. And the problem is as long as we keep it so polarized, we, we may not ever get the solutions we need. We may not ever get – to the answer or to the peace that we need. And so we've seen it, right? We've seen that there there needs to be some form of leadership. And one of the things that happened, and you may have heard about it here in the state of Utah, was a bill um, that was uh, SB uh, 296, which was uh, basically a state bill um, that 296, which was where the LGBT and the religious organizations came together to create um, some basic legislation that would facilitate the rights of the LGBT uh, people and also the rights of the religious believers to not be discriminated against. You saw, though, in Indiana where this these kind of – these differing positions really – hit the fan where when one of them went forward and started to protect their own rights as a as a you know their own religious rights of what they they should be forced to do or not forced to do without involving the LGBT voice it created this polarized situation which then led to some major uh, potential boycotting of of certain states and um a big fury folks when it comes to leadership though leaders have certain responsibilities and I really feel like we need more leadership in having this discussion. One of my big, big beliefs is that it's through our conversations that we create the meaning in the world, right? Meaning is not just inherent. There's not just inherent understanding of religious rights and there's not inherent understanding of LGBT rights. Those – the meaning is created through the dialogue. The meaning is created through the conversations, and the conversations have to be facilitated by leaders and not just any kind of one-sided leader but by people that can figure out how to bridge between the two ideas. 
And I'm convinced that we are going to have more and more conversations over the next 10, 15, 20 years in our society that are going to have to be more open on both sides so we can bridge some of these divides. We see it in Ferguson where all of a sudden uh, just race uh, and um, and just, I guess, class even, almost warfare starts to break out and, and the treatment and the equal treatment of people starts to break out. And if we can't have a discussion without it becoming polarized, we're in trouble. Now, my personal belief is Traditional media, traditional radio shows, traditional television sets up the fight. It makes great TV. It makes great uh, opportunities to um, to polarize. And when you think about it, they want to polarize it, not to just ruin everybody's life, but they want to polarize it because it makes a great moment of entertainment to have two positions that are – you know, diametrically opposed fighting against each other. The problem is at some point in all healthy relationships, we have to start coming together on what we do agree on. And let's start, I call it, tying those areas down. When I when I go coach, in fact, today is a great example. I will go and speak uh, later this afternoon to about 150 managers of a local organization and in that meeting, we're going to talk about the fact that you can fight your position all you want, but at some point, you also have to be able to see where you agree with people. It's not enough to just know where you disagree. You also have to know where you agree. So if we're ever going to bridge the religious rights and the LGBT rights, you probably ought not go in with some set idea that it has to be one way or another. Instead, let's just go in and try to create a dialogue where it's there's peace, where we can at least figure out where we agree. And I think in the, in the, in the example of the Utah law that uh, we're going to have Governor Mike Levitt come on and discuss, there's, there's a great example of leadership where they came in, they sat down, and they figured out where do we have agreement. And from that agreement, they, they created a law. Now, it's not a perfect law, and it's not all-encompassing. But the idea, and you see it in Washington all the time, that you're going to create an all-encompassing law, it's not going to happen. I believe we need to start just taking little pieces of these national arguments and start figuring out where we agree and start actually sharing more of the data. Like on the show recently, we shared about uh, talking about Ferguson, 90% more, uh, actually 30 times more citations for the black community in Ferguson than the white community. 30% more, 30 not percent more, 30 times more. 30 times more citations and, um, and uh, arrest warrants, 30 times more arrest warrants in Ferguson, a, a tiny little area of 21,000 people than in the city of Boston a huge 600,000 people. So there's an issue, and I think uh, leadership is the way we're going to forge through it. We are going to take a break. When we come back, a great interview with Governor Mike Levitt, who's going to walk us through the leadership issues, how we talk through an issue as touchy as the LGBT right and the religious rights. Up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What an honor uh, we have today. Our guest, Governor Michael Levitt, is joining us on the phone right now. And you've heard on my show a million times I just mentioned about how polarized we are, it seems like, in politics and really in everything that's going on in this country, from Ferguson, from civil rights, um, from religious rights, from the LGBT uh, rights and religious freedoms. All of these different topics keep pulling us side to side. And we've got, uh, I think, a perfect example of a way to, to create through leadership, through communication, through effective conversations, to create a consensus and to build some solutions that can actually bridge the gap between these polarized positions. With us is Governor Michael Levitt. Uh, I call him governor, but he's done so much more. He was a three-term governor for the state of Utah, Michael Levitt. And he also, uh, I'm sure you remember, also served with President George W. Bush as the uh, administrator over the EPA, also as Secretary of Health and Human Services. He is also currently the, the founder and chairman of Levitt Partners, and uh, Governor Levitt, we're so honored to have you on the show with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. And I, I heard you were fairly busy recently. You went to the Brookings Institute. You were invited to go and basically uh, have a kind of an, a discussion, an open forum discussion about some legislation that was recently passed in Utah that uh, you had had your hand in. Well, actually, I was a very close observer to that process, and uh, the forum at Brookings was to discuss what had occurred at the Utah legislature as it as they passed a bill which uh, actually took action to protect LGBT uh, people uh, from discrimination and at the same time to protect religious freedom. And I think many people believe that that was an important development because those two ideas had um, been unnecessarily um, at conflict. Yeah. And in fact, let's let's talk about that, because this is so this is the LDS church, uh, by the way, and this is coming from Brigham Young University. So as you think about it, this is this is the LDS church's university here. Um, but we're very big uh, players in Proposition 8, which was trying to stop uh, gay marriage and, and and the kind of the sanctity they were talking about of of marriage, then all of a sudden now they're merging and and in a way negotiating and partnering effectively in creating legislation for the lesbian, gay, and bi and transgender um, people. How did that How did that bridge get gap? How did that gap get bridged? Well, I think it's important to look at both of these situations and to recognize what's similar about them and what's different. Uh, from the LDS Church's point of view, both were about their doctrine, um, and both were participation was ba- basically represented participation in a democratic process. Uh, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, um, in this case, uh, or in the case of Proposition Eight, it holds a doctrine that marriage uh, should be between uh, one man and one woman. That is their doctrine. Uh, and the, the, the people in California voted, then a court overturned it. But they were participating in, uh, in the public square to voice their view. Right. In the case of the legislature, um, they were 
responding to their teachings uh, that that uh, following the example of Jesus Christ, that their view was that Christ would not deny housing or employment uh, or substance to uh, another human being and another person rather, and uh, or to a person I should say, uh, he would not condone retaliation or unkindness, and therefore it made sense uh, for them to support legislation that would protect everyone from discrimination in that way. Legislatively, this was a time when those two ideas could come together. Religious freedom could be protected. At the same time, they could step forward and say, we don't believe anyone should uh, be retaliated against or in some way discriminated against. And it was, I think, a very good example, as you said earlier, of of um, finding a way where we could achieve fairness for all. That was the underlying principle, I think, that was used in the creation of the legislation. And it seems so powerful um, because it's you focused on the principle of it. And I, what I really want to understand is because there's a lot to this bill. It's Senate Bill 296 and Senate Bill 297. Basically, it affords and supported non-discrimination protection efforts in employment for the LGBT, for housing, for inheritance, for health care, and, and simultaneously protecting religious rights and, and religious uh, speech as well, I guess. Is that true? Well, yes. It... it um it put into place some very important protections uh, for religion as well as those from the LGBT community and basically created an environment where while people can disagree, they can exist in the same community and both carry out, live out their values in their own way. Hmm. It's fairness for all is the principle, and it, but it needed to be done at the same time so that it wasn't a matter of one side distrusting the other. Yeah, because that seems to be the norm when we look at a lot of uh, these issues where where the the country is so polarized in politics, uh, but even in just civil rights and what's going on in Ferguson and an understanding of that. We seem to come at it from two different sides so often that it just it's almost like every conversation we just get uh, farther apart. How, so how did you sense – that you were able to, with your group and and the and the the uh, may I guess the negotiators, the 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 uh, the formers of this legislation, how were you able to bridge that gap and bring the two sides together? Well, it's important to uh, separate myself from this because I was uh, I was an observer, but I was there are others who were very much involved in this, uh, it, and it's also important for me to make clear that I'm not uh, an official of the church, nor am I a spokesman. I am a member, uh, and I was knowledgeable of these deliberations, but important to make those distinctions. What occurred uh, was years of pain uh, on both sides, where the LGBT community uh, felt threatened because of events that occurred. Likewise, people of faith were feeling as though their First Amendment rights were being ignored, and that people were not respecting the important essence uh, of them that faith was. And so there was this battle. It was not just fought in Utah, but it was happening all over the country. And uh, I think if there was a role that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints played, it was essentially to act as a convener uh, or uh, uh, um, as a healer, if you will, uh, to try to bring the 
people together. And in January, uh, they held a news conference and laid out a set of principles that they believe uh, could, in fact, be the, 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 the way in which this could be resolved. And the underlying principle was, as I said before, uh, fairness for all. What ensued after that was uh, a number of conversations that occurred among and between uh, parties that had interests here and legislators who then stepped up and and uh, wrote legislation that would take that principle and actually put it into specific legislative language. Uh, I, my impression is it was a very uh, hotly debated issue. It was not one that happened uh, easily, but they got to the end and they had a bill, and I think it was it made history. It really did. And when you look at uh, just watching these uh, these meetings at the Brookings Institute, it's 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 interesting because th- these are the leaders of the LGBT kind of uh, movement and and uh, to see the I guess the respect as much as as much respect as everyone can show without kind of losing face. It's there. They it's impressive. Um, and it was impressive um, in many regards, and some of it, I think they they didn't quite um, maybe fully appreciate some of the turn um, that, that took place. One of the things I know you started your discussion with was the the idea of protection of conscience. Part of the the governing principle too, fairness for all. But you also uh, you uh, the, and the the church and the the process of the LGBT negotiation. It was to protect. It's protect conscience. What what did you mean by that? Well, I think it's a, it is true that no government um, is uh, able to survive. Uh, no nation, for that matter, can survive with in peace without protecting conscience. Because once people begin to feel that their conscience is being violated. That's the point at which they begin to feel as though um, they need to throw off the uh, authority and they're unwilling to be involved in, with an, in order. And you have two groups here who have felt as though their conscience was being violated. Mm. You have a person who, who, um, who believes that their essence, uh, their sexuality, has their conscience of, of how they respond is being is, is is not being respected, and that they're being treated as as second class people. Uh, on the other hand, you had people of faith who say, "My uh, essence is my faith, and I feel as though uh, society is now not beginning to is, is is beginning to not respect that, and they were beginning to feel oppressed by that." And so the the point is that conscience, the ability for people to be free in their thinking and in their actions, is fundamental, particularly in a democracy, for a nation to remain at peace. And so the underlying principle here is protecting conscience, the ability for people to to believe as they will and act as they will, so long as they're not in some way uh, infringing on the rights and liberties of others. I I think... And especially like when we when we know that I could create a law, but if it's a law that is against conscience, people 
aren't going to follow it anyway. So we we need buy-in, don't we? We need we need the buy-in of the conscience, and people's voices need to be heard. Um, which is, I just think it's it's powerful, and especially why I'm kind of so in awe of the whole idea, Governor, is because we have so many other political issues that seem to be stuck because of this pattern. So. What I want to do is is take a break, come back, and I want to have you maybe address with us how how you see current day politics um, might be polarizing people, pulling people to the extremes, and might be setting up more and more situations where we're kind of forcing the hand, we're letting the judiciary make more of these decisions for us, which you know might create a law or or validate a law, but might not necessarily create a protection of conscience or buy-in of our conscience. We're talking with Governor Mike Levitt. When we come back, we're going to get his take on what we could do to maybe use a similar pattern as the LDS Church and the LGBT uh, organizations and and, uh, people put together to start to create a bridge between these opposing ideas. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on this show, I always like to talk about leadership and uh, maybe sometimes the absence that we've seen of leadership um, in not just in politics, but sometimes in life. And I found a fairly, I think, a fairly good example, not even fairly. I think I found a very good example of how two different paradigms, two different uh, organizations or, uh, you know, positions could, through principle, forge a, a trust and, and a really powerful, I think, so- solution, a third alternative, a new way of, uh, of, of thinking about an issue that used to divide us. Joining us on the phone is Governor Michael Levitt. Uh, Governor Levitt is the founder and chairman of Levitt Partners. He served in the cabinet of President George W. Bush as both the administrator over the EPA and also the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He was also three-time elected uh, as governor of this, for the state of Utah and has uh, had a really important, I think, role recently at the Brookings Institute where he basically went and, and helped just try to explain uh, this, this compromise, I guess. They're calling it the Grand Compromise, where the LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, and transgender uh, people and their representatives – with this, the legislature in the state of Utah and the LDS Church, who at times were everyone, you know, the times we they were opposed, somehow they were able to talk through it, get to the basic principles of fairness for all and protection of conscience, and put together some pretty powerful legislation um, that, in many regards, that it's it's groundbreaking. This is some of the first legislation to come out after the Supreme Court has ruled on. Um, marriage and and the right for people to marry, um, in and so it's 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 big legislation. Governor Levitt, thanks for joining us. Matt, thanks for having me. And again, we know you're not a, an official spokesperson for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I, I do want to make that clear for your sake as well. Um, 
Talk to us uh, this idea of creating the bridge in the legislation and having just the conversation and rebuilding the trust that may have been damaged. Um, how, how, first of all, do you sense that the, the church and the LGBT community, how did they rebuild the trust enough to even talk? Well, much has been written, actually, at least in the local areas, about the the long conversation, the the long process of building a bit of trust. Uh, Obviously, the two sides were at odds, but uh, they began to talk uh, and try to understand each other. And they, I think, over time it became clear that a zero-sum game was going to serve neither side well and that, that a, a solution to this problem based on either one, one side or the other amassing enough power politically to override the other one wasn't going to solve the problem because this is a matter of how do you allow con- people with, with, of conscience uh, to uh, exist in the same space and, and get along. And, um, and I think, so I think there was in some ways, uh, this is not, something that happened overnight. It's happened over many years. And I've actually written a fair amount on, on how you arrive at collaborative solutions. And one of the things that is required is sufficient pain hmm. that people are willing to come to the table and solve a problem in a way that might not be exactly what they want. And yeah. I think if you ask both sides here, did you get exactly what you'd want? They'd say, no, there were things that we'd like to have solved differently. And I think it's also important to remember they didn't solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. There's still there are still issues. They didn't. There were things they couldn't solve legislatively that ultimately the courts will have to solve. But the important thing is that they both respected the fact that the other had a conscience and that they needed to both be protected. And, and this is stuff that's been going on too. There's just been little uh, in in the marriage coaching world that I work in. It's called a bid where I, I seek the best interest of my wife and I do something for her. And then she has to turn and kind of receive it and accept it as goodwill. And it's almost like there was always this bidding and turning, even subtly going on. Um, we heard in, in that conference you were at at Brookings, one story was told about how there was going to be a big, uh, you know, a big, I don't know, uh, I don't know, a demonstration in front of the church, uh, LDS Church's office buildings. And it was kind of like, really? You're going to go demonstrate right in front of our buildings? And as soon as, uh, you know, some of the, the leaders talked to other leaders from the LGBT, and then the LGBT moved the demonstration somewhere else. And just something as, as powerful as that creates some goodwill. Well, that's a, a good lesson in human uh, relations we all ought to acknowledge, that once the, we start getting ourselves into a place where we are uh, just assuming what the other one thinks and feels, we're generally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a lot better, it's a lot better to have a conversation and, and then be willing to uh, try to understand the other party. Can the spirit of this, Governor, be taken to the federal government, where we seem like we're in such a stalemate um, because we just can't, we're so polarized in positions on ideas that we don't even see through the principles. Well, on this issue, it's, again, important to remember that Utah is just one in 50 states. However, I do think it provides a pattern that will in time be adapted. Uh, It'll only be adapted when in their situations the, the, the pain is 
sufficient that both sides are willing to pursue something other than a zero-sum strategy. Hmm. Uh, when that occurs, there's gridlock. And in a, I spent a good chunk of my life uh, professionally working uh, within the mechanisms of democracy. And it's just the rhythm of a democracy almost always starts off with advocates on the extremes trying to define things exactly as they want them. And over time, they begin to with the, they do so with the belief that somehow they're going to be able to amass enough power that they'll be able to essentially just subordinate the other. Hmm. But one of the good things about our democracy is that it does lead us to the point where if we're going to have a peaceful society, we have to find solutions that accommodate uh, the needs of the of the larger group. And I think that's the situation. I think there will it will happen in other places in time. I don't know that it will be immediate, and I think there will be issues that ultimately will have to be decided by the courts. But... Hopefully, uh, we'll begin to see this uh, issue resolved in a way that I think will be better. Do you sense a shift in politics where we're even more divisive than before? We're even more polarized than before? It's hard for me to know if it's dramatically different than it was a hundred years ago. I think we're, to some extent, dealing with human nature. However, I do think that there are some things that have caused it to uh, become, have caused the, the democratic processes that we have known them uh, for centuries uh, to function less efficiently. One, for example, is uh, the media. And, and for, for hundreds of years uh, in democracies, to win an election, you had to, to use the parlance of the, of the trade, hold your base, that is to say, keep the people who are naturally with you and then attract enough of the people who are in the ideologic middle that you have 50% plus one. Hmm. Uh, in, in recent days, politics has changed, and politics is now more about what I'll refer to as lighting up your base, finding enough people uh, who believe as you do that you can outvote the people who believe as the other folks do. And the, what makes that uh, different is that, to a large extent, there's an apathetic group in the middle who aren't energized as much by either extreme, and they just don't participate. Yeah, they might be exhausted so now, by it. We're now seeing uh, that reflect in the media. So we now have you know, we have cable news, uh, which basically play the news according to what a group of people like to hear. So you have uh, Fox, who, if you're a conservative, you like to hear the news from Fox, and if you are less conservative or liberal, you like to hear it from MSNBC. Uh, if you are a conservative, you might be more inclined to read the Wall Street Journal. If you're a liberal, you might like the New York Times. Now, I'm using terms that are absolute, and you know, I don't mean to, but the truth is the media has begun to polarize a bit, and consequently uh, that creates a, a situation that's different than it might have been 20 or 30 years ago when we had three networks, and uh, those three networks were basically judged on whether or not they were, quote, fair and balanced. Now, hmm. both sides would tell you they never were, but nevertheless, it was different than today where we have specialized news sources depending on how we our interests and our ideology. It, yeah, it almost seems like, too, we, we're incentivizing more just the rhetoric than actually caring about rewards or results. It's, it's like the results aren't as half as important as, as, as long as we can keep the rhetoric going. Well, I... I've spent a fair amount of time in Washington, and I've come to understand that to understand Washington, you need to 
understand that Washington is driven by control of the news cycle and preparation for the next election. There's mm. a general feeling on both sides that uh, we don't have power now, but if we could get full power, we would do the right thing. And there's no way you can trust the other side to do the right, right. thing because they want to do the wrong thing. So we'll just continue to, uh, we're not going to find solutions uh, that will satisfy both. We're going to just continue to try to get power in the next election so we, then we can do the right thing. Well, then it, it, it just switches. Uh, and I've seen this in, in many different ways where one party will will take, will lose power and, and essentially make the same arguments uh, that the other side made before, uh, but just turning them around. Yeah. And it, so... so you know that's that's part of politics. It's always been part of politics. It's just the way politics works. Uh, but it's it's you know it's it's not uh, democracies are not the most uh, efficient mechanisms, <laughs> but we do know them to be the best. So. so we appreciate you, Governor. Take care of Thank Jackie, you. and uh, we'll keep following you on the news. Thank you. Thank Goodbye. you. Take care. That's it, folks. We're going to take a break. Uh, Governor Mike Levitt, how great is that? Um, the real deal. We can do this, folks. We can bridge the gap. Sometimes it's easier when you use a little bridge that's just the bridge between you and your family members, uh, you and your friends. That might be an easier gap than the big national one. We'll take a break. When we come back, continue the discussion right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Hour number two of uh, Townsend Palooza. (laughs) That just sounds weird. Uh, To uh, the great fest, festival, feast. Festivus? Festivus. That's different. That's different. Welcome to the program, my friends. This is the show where we give you the tools to help you live a healthier, happier life, hopefully letting you see the good in the world. And uh, again, we got another great hour. Just listened to Governor Mike Levitt. It's, uh, there's leaders out there, folks. Leaders can help us cut through some of these difficult discussions we need to be having in the world. So we appreciate that interview with him. Also, uh, we want um, today, we, coming up, we're going to be talking to Wendy Miller, who has put together a program um, in the Utah State Correctional Facility, the Utah State Prison, for uh, to improve dads and the skills of being a dad. And they use dolls to teach these dads how to connect. It's pretty powerful stuff. We'll be talking to her a little bit later. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, it's my family is out of town. I am all alone. <laughs> and they're all on spring break. Uh, we made a joke yesterday that they're like at Fort Lauderdale yeah, having their spring break. And then somebody came up to me. Is your family really in Fort Lauderdale at spring break? So they're not in Fort Lauderdale. But they're away on spring break, and I'll be. Are they in the backyard? Is it a staycation? No, no, it's not. It is for me. I'm I'm staycating. They're not there, but they're gone. But they're not that far gone. But I'm realizing it's good to be married. Yeah, and it's good to be in a family because I'm a misfit without it. Oh yeah, I I could be I could just be a loner old man. 
living in does an that apartment. Fit, does that fit you well? It did last night. It does me. When my wife like my wife uh, went with my son, went to lunch with grandma on yeah. Saturday, and I uh, I just sat there. Just sat there. My so wife's I, like, "What'd you do?" Like, "Well, I had this to do. I was going to do these two. I yeah. just took a nap." <laughs> I'm afraid I wouldn't get anything done, and I, I had like all these phone calls I need to be making, and mm, I'll do it later. And I just sat there. Tonight's different. I'll be working all night tonight, but uh, I got a side job waiting tables. I'm going to start doing that. And um, <laughs> but it, I, I need my family because I'm not healthy. Otherwise, I won't get anything done. I would. By the way, I went and ordered Mexican food, and I ate way too much of it at about nine o'clock at night. Yeah. So I was pretty much awake by four. Yeah. With this burning in my heart saying, <laughs> What did you do to me? Why are you doing this? It was horrible. And that's the problem is I'm afraid I would just self-destruct. My wife's like, you're going to be able to get a lot of sleep. She no. said that about eight while I was, you know, snarfing down a big burrito. <laughs> Not true. I got four hours. Four hours of sleep. The whole time, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, I'm just like, I really ought to go to bed. I always stay up later. Yeah, no. When no one's there, I just stay up like, ah, oh, what's the point? I can just watch this and no one's going to tell me otherwise. See, and... uh, if my wife was home, she'd be like, go to bed. Everyone's got to go to bed. You got to go to bed. Yeah. And then i just go to bed. I need my wife. <laughs> I've got to sleep. There needs to be an adult present Yeah. so that you can be accountable. And it's weird. Like when you have heartburn... You have weird dreams. Everything's on fire. Everything seems to be hot and on fire. It's horrible. I miss my family. Anyway, they've only been gone a day. Actually, they left yesterday. Yeah, they've only been gone like 10 hours. You're a little needy. I'm super needy now. Kind of clingy? I'm actually not. I like being alone. And then now being alone, I'm like, I would be dead. At this rate, I'll be dead. I'll probably be dead by Thursday. If I don't show up for the show Thursday morning, I'm dead. Just go and get get takeout. If the if there's a coroner at my house and they're trying to decide what the cause of death was, heartburn. Heartburn. (laughs) Four a.m. Self-imposed. Cafe Rio burrito. (sighs) That's why I'm drinking water today. I'm trying to put my fire out. Fire. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, again, that's why the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. He will have heartburn. I like quoting scriptures on the radio. That's good. Any uh, remember? Remember about was it last week? We we're talking about the TSA looking at people yawning or yeah. brushing their hair or yeah, acting fidgety in line, that, and yeah, that means you're, you're a terrorist, right? Sure. Or actually, it means that you're hiding something and you're nervous. So True. they'll they'll watch you. Well, have you watched James lately? Yes, he's very super twitchy, very shifty over there. Shifty eyes. Well, that program costs nine hundred million dollars. To come, implement, to train. Come again, come again, come nine, on, back that up, back that $900 million. To tell people that if they're, they're fidgety and they're looking in their eyes. Yes. Oh, my wife just texted me, said, don't get too comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Oh, so my <laughs> wife's listening to the show. Oh, that warms my heart. Oh, nope, that's heartburn. So $900 million. Now, what they've found is they, they, this, all this information comes from a website called The Intercept, yeah. which is from the reporter that worked with Edward Snowden. 
and all those release the documents that yeah. he had. This guy's gone on to create his own website. $900 million. He has found that the program costs $900 million To train TSA. To train TSA agents. And part of what they're looking for is to see if you're yawning. See if you're fidgeting with your hair. Well, I see a lot of TSA guys yawning. As it Well, it's kind of a stand around and wait for something to happen kind of job. So after spending billions of dollars on the new system, almost a billion, billion, billion dollars, the TSA uh, kind of, they changed, this program has become a backdoor for the immigration policy. Oh. Because the, uh, the Intercept reports that the agency's new behavior detection program has drifted away from its intended focus on terrorism with more than 90% of arrests having to do with immigration violations. The behavioral detection program, it's 90% of the arrests are flagging supposed suspicious behaviors like yawning and whistling. Remember whistling? If you're whistling yeah. in line, they'll, oh, they'll, yeah. they'll tag you. But the new report suggests the vague guidelines are serving much more sinister purpose, effectively redirecting anti-terrorism measures towards immigration enforcement. Wow. So they find people that are fidgety and they start looking into specifically and they, oh, wait, you have a, a visa issue. Get out of line, please. You know, you can't you can't either travel or you can't leave the country or whatever. See, I think we're going to make travelers neurotic. Yes. We have airplanes crashing. You should be a little fidgety, and then you're going to go get you know wanded. Yeah, <laughs> by some TSI. If you've ever gone through, uh, or you're deemed for further for yeah searches. Oh, hey, you've been selected for a, <laughs> a full for body a further, cavity. Full body. We have full a special room search. for that. Yes, uh, but have you ever gone through customs or immigration in? Israel? No. Whole different ballgame. Someday, I can't talk about it on the radio, but I had a national incident <laughs> going from Israel into Jordan. You had to call your center afterwards? Actually, Israel into Egypt, pretty much. And I about took one of their agents' eyes out. It's a oh, wow. Actually, something flew out of my okay. suitcase. <laughs> I going to say. You you. But it's scary because the, everyone's like, don't mess with these guys. Don't joke. Don't smirk. Don't say – just look forward and say yes, sir, no, sir. Same thing in England. Yeah. And I've never felt that fear with the U.S., but apparently I need to it, start. It's getting there. So yeah. a, a program set up, $900 million to detect and try to find terrorists is actually just finding people who have immigration violations, immigration issues. Wow. This is uh, students that maybe didn't take a full class load last semester, and so their student visa is now out of status, that kind of thing. And now we're, yeah. So they're spending time worrying about that, and mm. you're supposed to be finding threats. But yeah. I guess that's an unintended consequence. Well, it's a billion dollars. What's the worst thing? Sure, it's being well used. Also, the uh, the IRS has had taken some uh, tax or taken some uh, budget cuts from uh, the new. I guess the, Congress came in, and yeah. that was one of the first things they did. You get they, no money. They cut them because of some previous things they they did, or they just yeah. felt it was overspending. Either way, so uh, they ignored. They're ignoring sixty percent of taxpayer phone calls of the IRS. Apparently. What percent? You call in, and it says like they're saying that sixty percent of taxpayer phone calls are being ignored. Jeez! <laughs> oh, and the commissioner um, in charge says that the budget cuts have resulted in an abysmal level of service and long waits at the IRS offices because they don't have staffing to answer all the phone calls. I have this question about this letter you sent me that I will go to jail if I don't pay my taxes by. The 15th. So the commissioner of the IRS says, you would think we must be selling something like the Apple Watch when you start looking at the lines and people are on the phones and just nope. how the lack of service we can provide because they don't have the staffing because of budget cuts. That's interesting. So punitive 
it goes against – everyone was against the IRS because of all the IRS scandals. Everyone's against the IRS anyway. The problem is they're the ones that bring the money in. Yes. And if that's not going well, you'd think that would impact bringing money in. <laughs> What's going to happen is now we're going to need our FBI to be out there pulling more people over so we can get more tickets out there. That's how they do it in the local government. Maybe that will work with the feds. Interesting. Wow. The tangled web. Uh, We are going to take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking to Wendy Miller. She's going to be teaching us about daddy boot camp in prison. We're teaching the fathers, the mothers in prison how to be better parents. So when they get out, they'll have a shot at raising a healthy family. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, would you believe that the statistics that uh, say that 1.7 million children in America have in, have an incarcerated parent? 1.7 million children have a have an incarcerated uh, parent. As of the 2010 census, the United States had 2.3 million prisoners, and over half of those have children. And so some of these prisoners, you know, they don't meet their children while their children are growing up during their informative years. And and one of the problems is they also then never learn how to parent. And it's an interesting dilemma because um, we – parenting isn't just a skill set, right? It's a part of development. As humans, we need to learn to develop the skills that come – from being responsible for another person by uh, taking care of, by being able to read the signs and pay attention to the needs of another person. And one of the most, I think, um, important things that we run into is, you know, we throw these, we throw these people out into the world, uh, you know, to just the, think of a child who was raised without your parents or was raised with unhealthy parents, and it creates problems. Um, and the, the problem is if I don't learn how to have a healthy relationship with my parents who should be healthy, then I will pass those patterns down. And that might be the legacy that we see when it comes to kind of our, our penal system and our, our prison system. We, we're we not necessarily uh, making our prisoners healthier and ready to handle the world uh, once they get out of prison. One of the stories that I've been fascinated by is something that's going on at Utah State Prison um, where they are using uh, dolls to teach inmates to be great dads. And uh, there's a wonderful uh, trainer there named Wendy Miller. We were hoping to have her on the phone, and for some reason she's not able to to be with us at this minute. But her program is changing the, the lives of these prisoners. What they do is we they, they kind of assign two of the inmates together to be in charge of a baby. It's a life-size simulator baby that can make about 100 baby-like sounds, which you can only imagine. <laughs> I think James had to go record about half those sounds. And um, 
that it's a pretty basic little tool. And you've seen them, you know, in high school, you may have remembered that you needed to have a pet egg and take care of your egg and you needed to bring, you know, you marked your egg and your egg would have to come back every day and the teacher would give you a grade after a week or whatever of taking care of your of an egg. Now they're giving these prisoners life-size simulator babies and um, the babies respond and, and actually, you know, by talking to it, by holding it properly, by supporting its neck, by even just touching its face, all of it is recorded. And it starts to teach these fathers how to be a responsible father and how to actually care and pay attention to the coups and the signs and the sounds and the the noises and, and just the needs of the child. It's such an amazing uh, concept. But in the end, what Wendy uh, Miller teaches us, though, is it's not just to teach the kids or the fathers how to be um, you know, how to care for a, a newborn, what it might also be teaching is just basic skills and of responsibility and showing affection and affirmation and validation. It's just a basic concept, a simple little activity in prison that makes these prisoners more human and more humane. Who would have thought, you know, just a parenting class, nine weeks, where they take care of this baby for an hour. I mean, they even change the baby. And they change the baby with a partner. And they have to go kind of, you know, figure it out, talk it through. Um, but also the the ability to calm another human being. All of this, my friends, is called emotional intelligence. And really, in the world, it's probably one of the biggest things we're lacking is the ability to understand the emotional needs of others. We talk about it on the show all the time. And honestly, when you think about our prison system, what a better place to be teaching it. I mean, sure, it would also be great to teach them trades and skills, but also if we could hone in and give them more attunement is what uh, the researchers call it, the ability to actually attune in to the emotion of another and also to manage your own emotion. Sometimes these babies end up going off and creating a lot of tension because they got 12 sounds coming out of the baby at one time. You've all lived that if you've been a parent or if you've ever babysat. It's just one simple idea, my friends, one simple tool that uh, that can be taught in a prison. The belief is that uh, this idea of teaching these skills to uh, prisoners all across the country will eventually take off. And in the end, also, it's going to promote a lot of other secondary skills they weren't even knowing about, right? It's not just about diapering a baby, but it also, you know, promotes independence. It promotes responsibility. It promotes language skills. It promotes so many different tools. And interestingly, um, you know, it kind of correlates with some other basic just traditional roles that some in society might not ever get. Babysitting, for example. Uh, did you ever babysit when you were a child? If so, that's probably how you learned to care for another. I didn't ever – I mean I babysat a tiny bit, a little bit. But in the end, I learned by having our first child. Thankfully, I had a wife who was pretty awesome and a school teacher that knew what she was doing. Um, but in the end, I'm so appreciative of what I've learned just raising my own kids, even in the midst of the major diapering, right? 
So uh, kudos, and uh, we just want to do a little shout out for Wendy Miller and the work she's doing at the Utah State Prison, and um, and also just to all those great dads that are in the class that are doing what they can to to learn to be better fathers. So when they get out, they can go uh, step back into that role of being a parent and uh, maybe rebuild relationships and have a shot at having a healthy, healthy relationship. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, continue a little bit of the Coach's Corner and get uh, into some more tools that might help you in your relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, have you ever just blown it? Made a horrible impression. (laughs) Oh, those first impressions gone bad. James, okay, when you met uh, McClintock's parents, how'd that go? Uh, Really well, I think. (laughs) Because she said it was horrible. Okay. You know, actually, I don't know how well it went because at every single family function that we went to up until after we got engaged, uh, her dad would always mention that this could be my last time being there. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. He's like, James, we're we're glad to have you with us. Um, (laughs) But since you're technically not part of the family yet, this could be the last time you're here. <laughs> See, but that is the greatest thing about being like a father because you get to mess with the brain of your of the person dating your child. Yeah. So I think I made a good impression, but, you know, I, I was constantly reminded of the temporary position that I was in. Are you the first child that will be married? No. I'm the, the first in-law? No, I'm the second. Okay. Or third. See, I'm the first. I was the first in-law with my wife's family, so I have, I have priority. I I have an advantage over all the other in-laws because I speak in-law talk now. I know how they talk. It's there's a, a lot of pressure though. <laughs> what in-law talk? Yeah. It's true. I got, it's priest talk because they're priests, so I I can speak priest. See, I wasn't the first. But I was the best. See, that's a huge advantage. Because the first didn't work out so well. <laughs> Hypothetically. No, literally. Oh, literally. And then I, I came in and they're like, wow, look at him. He's wonderful. And that's he, it. He's a saint. Yeah. But I met the yeah. parents after the first date. Yeah. We we she, my my now wife is like, do you want to get a drink of water? And I go, well, sure. So we come in the house and then. What was your date? Were you like running the marathon? We actually went curling. Oh my word! It was right before the 2002 Olympics. So that's the ice thing. You could where you go. Roll the brick. It's, it's ice bowling. Yes, it's ice bowling. And we went and did that because you know you do things like that. And we came back and and uh, I was dropping her off, and she says, "Come on in. We'll get a drink of water or whatever." And yeah. I so I go in and I I sit down, and then her parents come in to sit down. I'm like, "Oh, seriously? On gotcha. the first date? See, that is the oldest trick." The old, oh, do you want a drink? Yeah. That's that's your wife saying, kiss me. 
well, there was that. That that was really the the yeah. awkwardness is because I didn't know what to do. Oh man, it's a first date. Do you go for it, <sighs> or do you hold off? No, you, know? you hold off. So I waited. Well, now the parents are there, so now you're totally. Uh, so, uh, hold yeah, off. at that point, it was done, and she was climbing out of her skin because her father was like grilling me on things. And so, what are you what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. What's your views on immigration? Hmm? Are you a Republican or a Democrat? (laughs) No, actually, we just talked about sports. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah, because sports sports, is non-denominational. Sports doesn't matter. (laughs) It's non-party affiliated. Except he's a fan of a certain college. You have to be careful. But I knew that beforehand. I knew some information going in. You're safe. You know which which areas, which things to talk about. And so, yes, first impression, in-laws love me. So let's say you make a bad first impression. How do you fix it? You, so, ru- you run away. But you can't run away. And no. can you really fix a bad first impression? So this would be a, a – So like, a, let's say you blew it with the father-in-law yeah. and you ended up saying something completely off, even as a joke, and he didn't – you know, yeah. and he's like, my mom died yeah. <laughs> doing what your joke inferred. <laughs> you're like, oh, sorry. <laughs> so, so, so what you're bad. saying is – you make a bad in first impression with someone who a relationship is going to just yeah. continue. Yeah, you, you yeah. can't get away you, from you, it. It could be your boss. Like when you came in and you we interviewed you, a horrible first impression. Well, yeah, and I, I <laughs> but, realized that. But it stuck. I mean, you you were you were good. Now I'm that guy, and now you're that guy with. Uh, I can't believe he's wearing short shorts to you, an interview. You settled on the guy in jogging shorts, but no, that's John what? Stockton jazz shorts. <laughs> And I'm like, I can't believe he's wearing – and I turned over to Don. I'm like, is he wearing jazz shorts? What's he doing? John Stockton jazz shorts. He's like, yeah, don't don't look at it. Train wreck. But you nailed the interview. Well, of course. But So can you get over a bad first impression? I think, I think it's tough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say you can. It's just going to take about a thousand more impressions. Yeah. Right? Because you have to – it takes time. So if you're going to blow the first impression, let me give you some ideas. Here's some tools to fix a bad first impression. Really, you need about a thousand other opportunities. So you're lucky, James, that that uh, Marsha's um, that Marsha's parents let you back in because they kept bringing it up. Like maybe you won't be, but you, you made it. Uh, here's a few rules. Okay, rule number one: remember that all people are just people. So if you want to get a chance. To even the most famous person you know, just a, just a human. They're just humans. And all humans have basically the exact same needs, right? So if you want to go fix an impression, you've got to work on the basic needs of the person. So if you violated an impression, you probably violated one of these seven needs, okay? Basic need number one I call safety, trust, number two, appreciation, number three, respect, validation, encouragement, dedication. If you want somebody to like you, you're going to have to make sure they feel safe with you. So if you keep putting down their daughter, embarrassing their daughter, showing up late for their daughter, offending their daughter, if you offend them, if you offend their schools, their beliefs, their religion, they may not feel safe with you socially. They may not feel safe with you emotionally. Uh, They may not trust you. They may not trust that your character is enough to make it through life with their daughter, for example, or to get the job that you're looking for. A stands for appreciation. If you want to be uh, in a healthy relationship, they've got to feel like you appreciate them. That's why you got to say thanks. Apologize. If 
something happened if you made fun of something that reminded that person of their father that's passed. Uh, v stands for validation, encouragement, dedication. I call those the seven basic needs. It's also what I call the starved stuff. If those needs aren't being met, I'll bet you bucks that's where you violated the relationship. And if you want to get it back, you got to fix those things. You're not going to ever rebuild a relationship with somebody or the impression if you can't go in and understand how you violated it and try to work on fixing it, right? So bad first impressions. It'd be better to just hit it and nail it, but you know what? Sometimes you don't. One rule is you got to remember that all people are people, so start with their most basic human needs or those starved things. Safety, trust, appreciation, respect, validation, encouragement, dedication. Rule number two, if you've got to go rebuild a bad first impression, remember that who you are speaks louder than what you're saying. So in a way, shut your flapper. Quit talking. It might not be what you're saying that's the problem. It's who you are. So that would be all the nonverbal stuff. Try to get your nonverbal information in order as well. Right? Uh, in the end, you're not going to talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. If you were roughhousing in somebody's house and you threw a ball and you hit the urn that holds the remnants of great grandma Jones, you're not going to talk your way out of that. If everybody, you know, was telling you, quit throwing that ball around and you break the urn, guess what? So if that's the case, then you're going to have to let more your life do the talking, your history do the talking. Sometimes your resume can do the talking. But in the end, you got to bring quality life, quality living, integrity, and history, which is why how you've lived for the last 10 years can impact and overcome a bad first impression. If there's nothing in your resume – and there's nothing in all of your other relationships that you're just a careless jerk, then, you know, eventually people will get enough data that you're not a careless jerk. But if there's not enough data to convince somebody of that because you haven't lived in a service kind of caring way, then guess what? So uh, you might want to start building your resume now so that um, later in life when you blow it, which we all will, you can get over it a little easier. Remember that who you are speaks louder than what you're saying, so make sure that you're bringing the entire game, not just a really great language skill set. Rule number three, clean up what you can. Sometimes you just blow it and you ruin it and you showed up late and you were supposed to bring something that was critical to the meal and you forgot to bring it. So clean up what you can. If you made a bad first impression and uh, you need to fix it, then maybe go apologize for it. Be clear. Go in and, and say – talk about what your intentions were. Tell them what you intended to do and what you didn't intend to do. I'm sorry. I was just trying to play with your son in the living room. I did not intend to break the urn. Apologize for it. I would also firmly communicate why you were – why making a good impression on this person is so important. Go tell them why they matter so much to you. That's how James eventually convinced his in-laws – that he should be given another five chances. Right, James? Because mm-hmm. you went in and you begged. And you said, I love your daughter, Macaulay. 
She's fantastic. She's my best friend. I want I what's important to her is important to me and I I will do anything. How much will it cost to let you keep me in the family? And then you wrote a check. How much was the check for, James? I uh, actually can't disclose that information. Well, you told me last week $15,000. Okay. Yeah, 15 grand. Yeah. Totally worth it. It was a reverse dowry. Yeah. (laughs) I got a reverse mortgage too. That's great. And you don't even own a house. No. It was great. It's amazing what the bank lenders will give you today. Yep. So you cleaned up your mess. But I I believe if you go in and uh, you're honest and you're clear and upfront about why why this person matters to you, that will matter to them. Now, if you don't have in your life a history that's going to change the game, then it may not matter. So if you haven't been living with integrity throughout your life and now you just want to start, then you might need to give it some time. Spend some time. People will forgive, but you know, you got to build a track record of having integrity before people will automatically trust you again. Rule number four, remember that consistency converts. In the end, what we believe in most of all is what you consistently do. If every time you end up coming back to that house and you end up breaking something new, doing something different, this is the same thing in your job. You may have had the worst first day ever because you lost the company's biggest account. Everyone would chalk that up to, oh, okay, (laughs) bad mistake. But if you then subsequently lose 14 more accounts, hmm. Your consistency is going to convert them or keep them not buying into you. In the end, consistency converts. So who you are at one specific time on a one specific day is not as important as who you are in, day in and day out. So remember that. If you want to change the views of others, then you got to be working on it over time. Uh, people tend to trust principled, predictable people more than just personable people. Principled predictability is more powerful than just personable unpredictability. Does that make sense? Having a great personality and being predictable is going to end up working better for you in the long run. And a very basic last rule for you, be yourself. Even if it's not good enough, if this person doesn't want you after you're just being who you are, the problem's not about you anymore. The problem's about them. And I can't tell you, as I discuss and work with clients, um, all the time I have people whose in-laws just don't like them. And in the end, that's not your fault anymore. There's a point where you just are who you are and you got to get used to who you are. And if they won't accept it, okay, I'm not going to – I'm not going to have to change the rest of my life for you. Now, as long as it's principled, I'll take your advice and I'll try to change. But I can't be something I'm not. And in the end, if we could just get comfortable feeling strong with who we are, then, you know, I can't please everyone. That probably is one of the greatest strengths that, uh, that people, I think, in the end would respect about you is if you just knew who you were and you were really good at it and you don't overcommit. A lot of us end up overcommitting. We overpromise and then we end up underdelivering. Don't overcommit and underdeliver, or in the end, you're going to end up just having to, you know, dig yourself out of more and more holes. Undercommit and overdeliver, or don't even undercommit. Just commit to what you can really deliver. It's called character. 
pretty basic stuff, my friends. Again, every one of us are going to run into situations where we have a bad shot at something. We just It just didn't go right. But the rules are fairly simple. Remember that all people are just people. They have basic needs, safety, trust, appreciation, respect, validation, encouragement, dedication. Go work on those needs. Don't work on everything else. Number two, remember that who you are speaks louder than what you're saying. So use your nonverbals to convince people more than all your verbals. Uh, Number three, clean up what you can. If you can fix a problem, fix it. If you can't, you might need to let it go, but apologize. Talk about your intentions. Go share why you want to make a good first impression. Rule number four, remember that consistency converts. So stick to your consistent guns. Be principled over time. And rule number five, again, be yourself. Even if it's not good enough, you're all you got. So uh, get used to it, my friend. And again, if people reject who you are, they're not rejecting you per se. They're rejecting – it's about them. There's something about them that just isn't comfortable with that. Anyway, there you go. Some basic tools to uh, you know redo your know, bad first impression. We're going to take a break, come back, do some more headlines. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today, uh, we, we've been talking about a bunch of different things. Some of the great programs uh, at educating the prisoners, Wendy Miller's uh, work there, and also just talked about how to redo a bad first impression. And I'm doing this for my boys here. Terry, oh, James, us. I'm talking about you guys. Okay. I was confused which In boys. In case you get to prison and you need to make a good first impression when you're there. I don't know why I'm looking at James that way, but I I just worry about you, James. I'm glad you care. You're young. That's what you're, matters. You're impressionable. You're getting married in 25 days, but who's counting? Me. <laughs> Yeah, you guys got to know that he has this uh, this silly little – not silly. That sounds judgmental. He has this incredibly interesting countdown clock that he puts up um, for the wedding of the millennium. 25 days, 7 hours, 26 minutes and 33 seconds, 31 sec, 30 seconds, 29 seconds. And we look at it every day. Well, you do. Yeah. And then he acts like – He's all calm and relaxed about it. But you're shaking inside, aren't you, James? I don't know. Uh, you're I just, terrified. I just want to remind everyone of a really important event. So I always put it up every single day in the studio. The wedding of the millennium. The millennium. It's kind of like Lady Di and Charles's wedding. It's that big. To, to him. Well, or, or yes. bigger. It's debatably even bigger. Than that. Bigger than Lady Di's wedding? Well, it is the wedding of the millennium. So. Yeah, we're relatively new in this millennium. We're 15 in. I'm going to bet there's going to be bigger weddings. Well, like I said, debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Debatable. Like Justin Bieber. What if he gets married? Well, I don't know. Probably not as big. 
Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> we'll see. We're, we're debating this or discussing no, this? No, no, it's, it's just I'm pretty sure it's going to. Do you need to have a counseling session? No, no, uh, no. We, it, it will, it'll all come out in the wash. Okay. Just kind of let it happen. Instead of interfering, you're yeah. just going to let whatever happens yeah. oh, happen. I, I want to jump right on this. He did just, tell us there will be a food truck at the wedding. There will be a food truck. Or at the reception. I, you know, I think it might, which might quickly lead to one of the biggest, you know, marriage spats right. of the millennium. Could be could be an issue there. Yeah. There's a food truck. It's out front. <laughs> Go get your food. <laughs> hey, you're going to have to pay for your food, too. We yeah. didn't buy the food. Did you guys bring cash? Did we, we did, not say that? We did oh. ask the truck to be here. We just ruined everything. We, we brought change, but... Uh, you can give everyone a little coupon card. Yeah. 10, 10% off. Anything in the food truck. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. There's also going to be a little ice cream truck right behind it, just playing some of the great melodies of the play yard. Right. Those songs we all know and love. We're calling it the wedding of the millennium, and uh, the f- the food truck is going to be at the wedding of the millennium. It's going to be a night to remember. Be... <laughs> That's great. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Uh, we we will be invited though, right? Yes. So we should eat before we go. That's what it sounds like to me. No, uh, there's going to be a food truck, guys. So you don't have to eat before. You can just have some yeah. – Get buy some food there. I had so much heartburn in the last 12 hours. I probably shouldn't eat out of a food truck. <clears throat> well, hopefully the next 25 days, 7 hours, 23 minutes and 40 seconds, you'll have recovered. Mm. Enough to, to, to really live it up at the food truck. Food. Yeah. yeah. Sounds great. It's going to be great. What, are you, what beverage will you be serving? Uh – Hose water? Milk. (laughs) Hose water. Just grab the hose. It's on the front of the house. Just turn that on. It should be okay. Elegantly displayed. It'll be spraying this beautiful, like, uh, fan of water. Yeah. It's going to be great. It's kind of just harking back to the days of when you were a kid, you know. Yeah, running through the sprinkler. Yep. Get a swig from the hose. That's great. (laughs) That's great. So food truck food and hose water. It's going to be great. I mean, just right there, just just how that rolls off your tongue. The reception of the millennium. I guess we could say that too. Yeah. Because it's going to be really good. You could add like the white – no. It's going to be white wedding, right? I suppose so, yeah. 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 There are going to be neutral colors. It's just going to be the white – I don't know the word. Um, what's like a just an average – what's a low – like what's a low standard – Beige? I don't like where this is going. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, like, like, have you ever seen like a hillbilly wedding? So bibbed overalls and straw yeah. hats, like, yeah. like, like hee-haw? It, yeah, and kind of like a mud bog where they drive their trucks. Mud through. bogs. Do that in the backyard. Just kind of dig it out, make a swamp. But yours is going to be a white wedding. It. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be like the opposite of that. It's going to be very posh. Oh, posh. Yeah. Uh-oh. With the food truck and. He's overselling it again. In the hose. In the hose. I, 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 yeah, the garden hose. At least buy a new one. Well, it's going to be a nice high-quality garden hose. Well, yeah, you want to have that plasticky, rubbery smell of, or taste of the water. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Really sell it. Well, well, we'll try to make it like a white hose, not oh, like a green garden oh, hose. No, It'll be like a white, totally high-quality. It'll have like a oh, wow. brass. Uh, brass fitting? Fitting, yep. Nice. Wow. It's going all out. It's a nice hose. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice 
water delivery system you've got there. You know what you need if you really want to wow the crowd, just if you really want it to be the wedding of the millennium? You need a, a, a chocolate fountain. Hey, I was about to say the same thing. You need one of those. That's what I keep on telling my, no, my tell fiance. Her. Tell her. She says it's the thing of the past, but I'm like, no. It's not at all. No. 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 I and need a chocolate gonna, fountain. If you're not spending the money on the hose or the beverages, then it's going to be more – you'll just spend it on chocolate. And be like a four or five tier chocolate yeah. fountain. Because what's cool about that is you could get old fruit – and if you have a chocolate fountain, no one would know the fruit. Is yeah, old. just get the discount old rotten. You can get almost anything and you cover it oh, in totally. chocolate and be yeah. fine. All right. Oh, that's, that's brilliant. That's why I'm here, James. I'm glad I got your stamp of approval. Now I, f- I feel like she'll, she'll be more willing to go yeah, through tell, it. Yeah, tell her Matt says it's a go. Hose, sure, white hose. I'd still get some cups. It's weird. It, I don't know if you've ever seen an 80-year-old drink out of a hose. It ain't pretty. I'm not like dissing the 80-year-olds, but anyway, the wedding of the millennium. Uh, we'll keep you updated. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. We do what we can on this program to help you gain the tools, the insight you need to live a healthier, happier life. Again, our goal is to help you uh, find your good life. We don't need to give you ours, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) Welcome to the program. Uh, last hour we were talking about James and his wedding and the fact that he's going to be sharing water at the wedding out of a garden hose. And Don just dropped in and he, he gave us some great advice that you can go to any RV store or probably park, any RV park or store, uh, and you can get a potable water hose, a white one even. Oh, perfect. Just there. And he even had another idea that you could get a lot of really good other um, wedding um, decorations. Those RV stores filled with wonderful – Appropriate wedding decorations. And just for any of your family or the wedding party that are listening, they could also get your wedding gifts there. Oh, I could register at a – Talking fishes. Uh That would be cool. Yeah. 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 Anyway. All your RV needs. See, I just thought maybe the hose would work because you're already in the front yard because of the food trucks out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have something to wash it down with. The hose is on the house. So This is great about having a yard because you can have like the food and the the fluids (laughs) up front and just keep the backyard dry where the reception is going to be. It's fantastic. Make people eat in the street, so if there's yeah. any sort of spill, yeah. it's you out there. Hose it off, yeah, really. you're fine. If it's in the lawn, it's kind of a problem. It's the wedding of the millennium. <laughs> the birds all wedding. We're, we're coming up with a, a brutal wedding here. Brutal. This, yeah, this would be a horrible wedding to no, attend. This is really this is James's wedding. It's going to be bad. It's, it's fantastic, but there will be eclairs. This is proof why most men should not plan a wedding. That's right. 
it would come out horribly wrong. Except the chocolate fountain, no joke. That that needs to be. By the way, that would be good. Don also volunteered his truck and camper. If you need it, just parked out front. You could. That could be where the bride changes. That could be where the DJ, you know, sir, mix a lot, mixes the music. That's a great. That's a great option. Yeah, he'll park it wherever you want. Camper truck combo. Just no, it's there. Oh, okay, okay, it's an option. Anyway, any headlines, James or Terry? A new study. As I a new study every day. There's a new study. What is it this time? This one analyzing municipal elections in Spain found that parties that increased their ballots representation of female candidates by ten percent over the opposition saw a four point two percent gain at the ballot box, huh. which equals to a twenty voter switch per one thousand votes cast. So they have to increase their candidates by ten percent, ten percent over their opposition. Yeah, they would gain twenty more votes per every one thousand people that show up to vote. Well, that's why Hillary Clinton's got this made. Then the analyst, the analyst co-authored by, uh, or the report co-authored by an MIT economist, comes a decade after Spain updated their municipal election laws that require that women fill at least forty percent of the slots on a political party's electoral list. There you go. So they're requiring women to run for office. You must run. 40%. And it says the study blames internal machinations of political parties, which tend to elbow out potential female candidates. Hmm. This is great. Kind of interesting how human behavior yeah. possibly is being shown there. I like it. Can we, Plus, can we're getting we, more people voting. FBI agents, for the first time in 16 years, will uh, have to... Fulfill fitness requirements, meaning 13,000 agents will need to complete a physical exam by October to comply to confirm they are fit enough to perform their jobs. Oh, boy. Requirements uh, vary according to an agent's age, gender. It includes exercises such as push-ups, sit-ups, sprinting, and a uh, 1.5-mile run. The New York Times notes that the September 11th attacks marked a shift in the Bureau's uh, priorities forcing many agents from field work to more desk time working on projects yeah. looking at cybersecurity intelligence things like that they're out of instead shape. of being out in the street out in the out in the yeah. out in the field doing the job the the tense and demanding environment causes some agents to gain weight and others suffer anxiety and depression so they're physically unfit because they're what? sitting at a desk all day now they want them to get out and be physical and be able to run and all that this is going to be the thing that's going to tip over obamacare because they're going to get all these guys exercising, and then they're all going to have heart attacks. Or plantar fasciitis, right? Aha! Uh-huh. Don't bring that up. Last night was the uh, NCAA title game for men's basketball. Yes. Tonight is the women's game. Okay. The ratings last night for the men's game were the highest in 18 years. Wow. People were very interested, apparently, in that basketball game. It was close right down to the end. Yeah. It was, uh, what, Duke won 68-63 over Wisconsin. It's Duke's. It's Mike Shashevsky's fifth title, putting him in second place, alone behind John Wooden. Man, alive! All time. Yeah, that was interesting. That's again one of the great benefits of you know being home. I had the TV all by myself. Did you watch some of the game? I did. I peeked in every once in a while. I was like, hey. Yeah, I, I liked. I just like to watch the grand finale, the great endings, and then I doze off for a minute. <laughs> On April 23rd, the NBA will become the first professional U.S. sports team to visit Cuba since Barack Obama announced intentions to restore relationships with the country. Which team? 
Do we know? I'm trying to. Because this is, you'd think. They're going there. It's not a game. The visit involves a four-day development camp with youth and will be attended by uh, Steve Nash. Okay. Two-time MVP, Hall of Famer, Dikembe Mutombo, WNBA star. Uh, some WNBA players will be involved, and Coach Quinn Snyder will be there. The league also is inviting two players and one coach from from Cuba to participate. So it's more of a camp, yeah. more of a skills sort of uh, teaching Giving situation. back to Cuba. And, hey, we want to see if you've got any tall people down here. Uh, yesterday was the official opening day of baseball. Yeah. They have uh, enacted some lo- rules to try to actually hurry the game up. Since they found they're, they're losing people because it's so <laughs> slow. The average time of a nine-inning Major League Baseball game in 2014 was, what do you think? 16 hours. No. Three hours. Three hours, two minutes. That's too long. Up from 1999's two hours, 54 minutes, way above 1981's two hours, 33 minutes. Wow. They say because of uh, specialized pitchers, like you get like the, mid, the mid-inning the mid relief yeah. pitcher comes in and all of a sudden you have these expanding rosters and all these other players and so every time you stop you have to give that pitcher time to warm up and it just kind of expands yeah, that's gotta into change. a bigger problem. So I think there's they need also, a time clock, a 24 second There's clock. a stadium clock that will count down the time between innings okay. 2 minutes 25 seconds for locally local televised games and 2 minutes 45 for national games. Huh. But the clock goes up and when that clock's over, play ball. Interesting. Just move it along. Get you know this what they, thing going. They need to do is. Did you hear about the Marlins opening day where they had the rain delay? No. They because it was raining. It's pouring on the Marlins uh, stadium, and it soaked the field. However, the Marlins stadium has a retractable roof. Yeah. That they well, didn't bother to close. It takes several hours to close it. Yeah, and so you'd think if there were clouds in the area, they would have gotten on that. But, but here's what they're finding out. They have three, uh, three employees that work for the Marlins that follow weather apps, oh, okay. and that's how they decide. They don't have like a meteorologist that says they're looking on their phones uh, to tell if they're. Yeah. Oh boy, and that didn't go so well. For no, apparently so, not. So that's if they'll just fix that problem. Yeah, you know, it's a well, five hundred and fifteen million dollar stadium. But the the roof isn't something you just push a button and it closes like a no. convertible. It takes several hours well, right. for it to drag across. So it just but. seems like if you know if there's a potential of storms. Just get her closed. And they get a lot of criticism if it's a nice day in Florida and it's closed. Yeah. It's kind of what's the point. They, they probably, on the opening day, they'd rather have it open and then Absolutely. it rained out. Because... But now the field's soaked, so you have to wait and make sure you're not playing in a mud it's a, pile. It's a, hard, it's a hard sport. It's difficult. And when you're trying to do weather reports off your cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> if they need help, just call me. Yeah. I'll make these calls. You'll do it? Yeah. You'll just say close it. Close it. Yeah. There's a 20% chance. Close it. Close it. Get her closed. Or get better equipment if you're going to have a little problem here. They didn't even have the equipment to cover, like, the pitcher's mound. And, you know, they didn't think about that. Hey, we're going to take a break. Uh, we got some great stuff coming up. You ever had your kids fighting? Have they ever just not gotten along? And you just don't know what to do with them. Heather Johnson's going to be joining us. She's going to walk us through how to stop the fighting between your kids. How to create a more peaceful, loving atmosphere. Heather Ann Johnson from FamilyVolley.com. She'll be with us right after this break.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, have you ever, uh, you know, gone to spring break and your kids are just fighting the entire time? Well, I haven't done that this year because I'm not with my family on spring break. They're down spring breaking right now. And I just have had an update. No fights. Yet. I'm sure a few fights, but my wife's too nice to mention it. Joining us, though, is Heather Johnson, also known as Hadge. You're soaking in it. You're soaking in it. <laughs> That's a great update you got. The, the, no, no fighting? Yeah. That's a good update. Yeah, my wife keeps me posted. Yeah. There's other issues going yeah. on. <laughs> but fights, not so bad. Uh, Heather's joining us. Heather, if you go to her website, familyvolley.com, Heather is an expert in um, helping families survive but thrive together, be healthy, get healthier together. She On her uh, website, you can also find her book, self-published book, Family Fun Fridays. She'll soon be releasing six other books, Family Fun uh, Saturdays <laughs> through Thursdays. A compilation. You Why know. did you choose Family Fun Fridays? Uh, Family Fun Fridays came from when I started blogging. Every Friday, I would give families a new activity or game to do together That's as a family. It. So uh-huh. I called it Family Fun Fridays. That's and cool. after a couple of years of doing that every Friday and, you know, put them all together so that they had them in one place. Boom. So kept the name. You had a book. There we go. Just like and, that. And now, um, by the way, go to the Family Volley. You'll find other activities. I mean, the cool thing about what you do is it, it's to get people moving. It is. It is. And not just physically, but also really kind of mentally, spiritually with your families. We we really we want to stay strong at home because once we're strong at home, we can strengthen everywhere else. And you're wearing one of those sporty new watches that count your calories and your steps. It is. And yes. like almost like it's a diamond. It just keeps telling me <laughs> that you've walked like 6,800 steps today <laughs> and you've lost 900 calories. It tells you. I know. It keeps you on track. It's true. It's kind of nice to know what you're doing each day. Yeah. Yep. I can let you borrow it. No, I'm good. <laughs> In my world, it's kind of nice not knowing. <laughs> you need data to make it work. You Talk do. to us about our kids because, you know, sometimes they just fight. Sometimes they do. And they tend to go through stages where they fight more often than yeah. not. And there's lots of things that can affect that. You know, when we have kids really close in age, sometimes that affects it. Uh, things like two girls right in a row or two boys, you know, sometimes there's some of that rivalry that, right. can, that can affect it. But overall, parents have a lot to do with why our kids fight. Parents? parents. You're going to blame I know. the parents? I know. We're going to look at us first. So we're going to talk yeah. about preventing it first. And before we even get into that, A really powerful point that we all need to recognize is that the relationship our children have when they're young is the same type of relationship they will have when they're adults. Really? And we neglect to think about that. So if we have an environment in our home when our children are constantly at each other, there's constantly that rivalry, they can't, you know, solve conflicts, they can't get along, that carries into adulthood. And we need to teach them that. First, we have to understand it. But instead of being so quick to just get the fighting to stop so the house is quiet because we don't want to deal with it, we want to teach them, you know, you guys, what happens here, this is a relationship you're developing forever. And if you want to be 30 and like one another. You need to learn to like one another now. And the thing about conflict, you know, we think it might go away or maybe it's over a toy, but the conflict when we're 30 might be because you don't really like, you know, your husband or your brother's spouse. Right. But 
you have to get along, right? Totally, yeah. Or maybe, you know, you're in your 20s and you and your sister try out for the same collegiate team and she makes it and you don't. You've got – there's conflict always. Right. And so to handle those relationships then, we really have to be conscious of how we handle them when they're young. And so it's okay to look at our children and say, you guys, you want to be friends when you're adults. So let's work out a way to be friends now. What if, what if they say, ah. I'm good. Right. I don't care. <laughs> it's the same way that you say grades matter and yeah. they say, ah, yeah, no, they don't. Whatever. Right. That's where we say we do know best yeah. and we do our best then to teach them those things. And sometimes they, you know, our four-year-old right now or our six-year-old when we talk to them, they don't understand they the don't magnitude yeah, of right. adult. They don't get that. But they do understand me teaching them. And I remember when it clicked for me, I was probably in my early 20s and I remember thinking, man, I am so glad my parents worked so hard to help us mm. have a relationship young so that I have a relationship with them now, yeah. right? We have kids. We live in different parts of the country and we, we still have to work to keep our relationship strong. But even strong. if they don't get it or don't care, as long as you're getting it – right. You can right. change the game. It's exactly right. And the time will then come just like everything else, right? right? And we joke as parents like, oh, one day. Yeah, and one, know. It's exactly right. And they'll take a step back and say, man, I'm really glad they did that. I love that. I'm really that. glad. So that's the first thing we have to remember. This is not short term. We're talking lifelong relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's really key here. So we're going to start to do some things in our home to prevent kids fighting in the first place. The first thing we must stop doing is comparing our kids. Yeah. It is very easy to compare them. We talk about this all the time. But another thing we tend to do is compare our children to other kids. Hey, Jimmy down the street, yeah. he's not down doing How come doing he's that? getting good grades? It's exactly right. <laughs> so we've got to stop those things. Now, if we need to pick one thing from today to focus on to help our kids stop fighting, the most powerful bit of advice to give here is to spend individual time with our children every single day. They're, they're probably crying for attention. That's exactly right. And so they're seeking for attention. This turns into sibling rivalry, which really the root of anything like this is always seeking out parental love and mm. attention. And so make a commitment right now to spend 15 minutes every single day with each child. Huh. Uninterrupted. That's yeah. it. If you think about it, we will waste 15 minutes doing who knows what. I mean, oh, social yeah. media, anything today. Yeah. So if we can focus right there and start right there, you will see the fighting in your home diminish exponentially because they have no need to seek out the arguments or seek out the attention somewhere else because they know they're stable and secure with you. That is uh, – I mean really – and it doesn't have to be – it could be five minutes before you guys eat dinner. Mm-hmm. It could be after dinner. They just sit by you and you play on something. That's exactly It doesn't right. matter. Anything. Chatting about the day when you pick them up from school. You know, walk instead yeah. of, you know, driving. Anything mm-hmm. that gives you just a couple minutes. If you need to break it up and two is all you've got, give them the two. Undivided yeah. attention. Now, a couple other things that are really helpful. We want to make sure our kids have their own space. Now, as adults, we recognize that. I know the feeling when it's like... Give me my space. Mama needs space. <laughs> Everybody, you know, just let me breathe. No more climbing on me. Yeah. No more wiping anything. Just yeah. give me a second, yeah. right? Well, kids need that too. And oftentimes we put our kids in the same room, which teaches them great things. <laughs> right. But they need to know that they have things that are their own, time that is their own, and space really to just think and be themselves. That's because there are a lot of fights around those Around those things, right, right? And so even if they're sharing a room, make sure that there's clear distinctions between this happens to be mine and that's yours yeah. and that there's space there. Uh, give them that individual space to breathe just like we need it. Right. So that's a really powerful thing too. The other thing that we often do as parents that really causes problems is we drag our kids around when they're hungry, when they're tired uh-huh. for our own yeah. agenda. And 
then we wonder why they get upset or why they fight. Well, if you've got your kids in the car going to eight different stores to try to run all your errands and they're starving and they've missed their nap, no wonder they're arguing about a seatbelt right. or a book oh, yeah. or the fruit well, snacks. And they're squished next to each other. That's exactly right. And so you're touching me and stuff. <laughs> so it's so funny. We sit back and think, oh, those kids, I wish they just uh, – Grow up! <laughs> well, we, we're the ones who need to right. grow up right. and recognize right. we either need to plan better, plan mm-hmm. different, but we've got to – We've got to safeguard ourselves. We can really set it up so that we foresee things happening before they do. And yeah. we want to do that. Well, and especially if it's the same fight at the same time right. on the same carpool night. Right. Every learn. Single... Just learn. Right, right. It's not working. It's true. And it's hard for us to step back and, you know, I don't know if humble is the right word, but really kind of be humble enough yeah. to say, oh, you know, I'm pushing too hard or yeah. my agenda is too big. I need to stop. My wife's always like, no, let's not take two cars. Let's take one car. And in my head, I'm like, no, but daddy wants his own car. (laughs) But part of it is – so so it might be less efficient. Right. But it might be more effective. So you might be choosing to be efficient even though it doesn't work. Sure, sure. But it might be better to just go for effective. Right. And pay for gas. Right. And they're going to remember – these situations, yeah. right? They're going to remember oh, every time we got in the car, we yelled and screamed. You really want to, you know, you're creating memories, you're creating relationships. There's a lot that goes on oh, here yeah. in their little minds. Another thing we have to focus on is teaching them how to solve conflict. And what I like to call it is the win win situation, which we hear a lot. Right. But children don't understand that solving conflict doesn't always mean their way. Yeah. And so we want to teach them what this means is really to come up with a win win situation. Yeah. So the old adage, for example, uh, maybe there's something they have to share. One one person gets to divide it, but the other person gets to choose, to choose. which piece yeah. first, right? So make sure you divide it Right. There. Very simple. But all of a sudden, we forced them to think, oh, I wonder what my brother thinks or how they're yeah. going to do things. And so we're instilling empathy, which if we can do that in our you children, bet. they have a whole new perspective of the brother or sister in front of them. Well, and maybe you do win-win or no deal. I mean, if we can't make it win-win, then let's just – then mommy will eat the cupcake. Right. Then we're, there is no cupcake, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Dad so gets win. the cupcake. <laughs> okay, we're talking with Heather Ann Johnson, uh, a.k.a. Hadge, and we are going to come back. More tools. She's going to walk us through specifics on, um, I guess, how we get them cooperating. Is that right? Yeah, well, when they're fighting, yeah. what do we do when we step in? Right. I think you got to embarrass them. No, you're going to tell you're going to say that's not right. A lot. No, no, we're not going to embarrass oh, them. Oh, Hadge, you're so good. Okay, we'll take a break. More with Heather Ann Johnson from familyvolley.com. This is the Matt Townsend show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show, we are talking about how to, uh, you know, get your kids to get along. How can you get them to be, I don't know, better friends maybe or even more, you know, able to handle a conflict instead of duking it out? Joining us is Heather Ann Johnson, a.k.a. Uh, Hadge. You're soaking in it. You're soaking <laughs> in it. We always say that because that's Madge from the 50s, but... With Heather, we're always just soaking it in. She just gives us so much information, and our nails look so much better when she leaves. Uh, Heather is from the website. She has the website familyvolley.com, also is the author of the book Family Fun Fridays, and uh, works here as a faculty member on campus 
uh, teaching people how to have healthier lives, healthier families. Heather, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. By the way, you can follow her on Twitter at Pen and Paper Girl. I don't know what that came from. That's but... me. Oh, I'd I'd prefer pen and paper. Would you? Really? Yeah, you can compare to versus technology. Yeah. 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 Uh, James actually prefers um, the typewriter. The typewriter. You get a lot done on that. I do. <laughs> I, I can type about 200 words per minute on the typewriter. <laughs> but when he tries to type it on just a keyboard? No good. 20 words a minute. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. I would guess the editing would be a little tough on the typewriter, so you must not yeah. make many mistakes. No, he's near perfect. He's <laughs> yeah. near perfect. Yeah. Well, Only on a typewriter. Either the typewriter or my slate. I like. He uses a – yeah, it's the greatest thing. Just a little slate. And it works. Uh, yeah, hey, you and know a piece what? of chalk. It saves you a lot of money, I can imagine. Oh, it does. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Don't have to keep up with technology. That's hard to that's hard to <laughs> file, though, a bunch of slate. He's got piles of hard slate. Hard to haul around. Yeah. yeah. You must be really strong, your backpacks. Hashtag third world problems. There you go. <laughs> third century problems. Third century yeah. problems. <laughs> hey, Heather, what do we do with our kids to keep them, you know, Lovingly together. Lovingly together. All right. So we've talked about some of the things that we can do to help prevent the fights from starting. And there's lots of of others, but those are some really solid ones to start with. Now, here's the situation. We're in our homes right now. It's spring break. All the kids are home. And all of a sudden, the fight breaks out. Bingo. And our first thought is usually as parents, I want it to stop right now. Right? And it's mixed with the thought that this is so primitive and silly. Why are you even arguing over that in the first place? And so we tend to go into this situation and we tend to see it that way. And when we do, we usually make someone take the the scapegoat route. Like I look at our son and I say, hey, you're the 12-year-old. You don't need to fight with the six-year-old. You give it up so she'll yeah. stop screaming, right? right? Horrible, horrible approach to Because the six-year-old's eyes get wide like, right. mm-hmm, and I the, own him. And the 12-year-old, the poor guy is – I mean he knows full well. He's like, but that really is mine and I really want it and why does she – there's <laughs> right. there's a lot of you know unfairness there. So here's what research shows. The very, very most important thing we can do when our kids are fighting, hands down, is to stay calm. Really? Just – or – That's – that's. I'd walk away. Right. <laughs> that's probably not good either. So maybe not ignore yeah, don't or ignore, avoid. But just stay calm. Don't stay you calm. get excited because right. they're already jacked up. It's they're, exactly right. They're going off. Now, there's also this kind of misnomer a little bit. You know, we hear don't go in and save them and there is some yeah. truth to that. It's important when our children are having conflict to kind of see what's going to happen with that conflict. We are not going to be there to save them until they die, right? Yeah. When they're 40 and at work, we're not going to rush in magically with our cape and, no. you know, Wonder Mom's going to solve right. the problem. And so we need to make sure that we allow them time to do that. We're talking about situations when it's escalated and we recognize it's time for us to step in. Okay. So the first thing we do is we stay very calm. That has a greater effect than almost anything we can say and do after that. Yeah. If we don't, we teach them the wrong – we give them the wrong impression. We teach them that they too should freak out and it just escalates. (laughs) Mom's freaking out. I'm going to freak out. It's exactly right. Now, from there, the next thing we have to make sure we do or don't do is we do not punctuate. Now, let me explain what punctuation is. What does that mean? Punctuation is seeking out an ultimate blame. It is the ability – think of punctuation as like a period or an exclamation mark at at the end of a sentence. We look at them and say, you did it and you did – And that's the end. And Mm. we put that period and and that's a finite sentence, right? An ultimate blame. And so we go to our kids and we say, okay, who started it? Yeah. And somebody says, well, I knocked over the tower because she stole my book. Well, why did you steal his book? Until we think we can get back to the very start of it all. 
Yeah. We don't ever want to take that approach. It sets our children up to be victims and bullies. Hmm. And those become labels that stick with them always. So our son feels, well, I'm always the bully because that's the label he starts to internalize. And our daughter thinks, well, look, I'm, I'm the victim. So I'm go ahead victim. and give it, right? Yeah. And so that starts to stick. And we do it in our marital relationships yeah. a ton. Yeah. We think that our relationships are linear, that A is always causing B. But that's not the case. The reason our son might get frustrated might not really be about the tower. It might be because six months ago, she ruined his Lego building in his room and and that happened because a year ago, right, yeah, we've got this, off we go. this circularity. Right. So once we stay calm, we do not start looking for the root of anything. It's too mixed up and yeah. it's too jumbled. That's we what do. I always teach. You can't – don't argue from the past. Right. Just be present. What's going on? It's exactly right. And we think of it in marriage, but how often do we think of it when we're looking right. at our children? Yeah. The same principles apply. Yeah. Now, once we've done that, we've got them in front of us. We've we've let or helped the yelling stop, but we can still see that they're fuming. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to very briefly review what the limits are. They need to understand why it is you've intervened. For example, maybe the rule in your house is we don't hit and someone did. Yeah. And so you're simply going to make it clear we have a rule in our home. We respect one another. We don't hit. I see that hitting is take, has taken place. Let's sit down and talk about this, right? So the the power here comes in not letting our kids be confused. That feeling of, well, why is she yelling at me? Or why am I getting in trouble? Or why <laughs> I thought is we this... had a rule. You can't yell. Yeah, now mom's ex- yelling. It's exactly right. And so not only are we going to stay calm and we're not going to place ultimate blame anywhere, but then we're going to say, remember, we have these expectations and now oh, we're going to talk about what you're we need just to holding do with them. the boundary line. It's exactly right, we're, and that's really you're saying this is the only reason I'm here. Right. right. I would have let you kept duking it out. Right. right. Well, I would have <laughs> let you kept working it out until you started duking it. Out. Right. But there are rules in our home, and maybe the rule in your home is you don't yell and scream. Yeah. Perfectly valid sure. rule. And as soon as those lines are crossed and you step in, it's helping them see. Okay. I've gone too far. I've I've gone outside those boundaries. And they can see it themselves. Oh, because right. I'm the – OK. You called her a name. We don't name call in this house. That's exactly right. So then they have to deal with the fact that that's why I'm here, name calling. Right. And so there's consequences. And remember, we've taken it outside of who stole whose book or how that tower got broken. That's not the issue. Yeah. The issue is that there is a conflict and we need to know how to manage our own emotions to deal well, with Well, and they it. may bring up – well, she – hurt me this way and right. then okay great we have a rule there too where we don't do that it's exactly right yeah. and so you bring it back to them. when do you spank them you- <laughs> just a minute that's okay. that's fourth okay. fourth okay. we're gonna get to spanking let's get to spanking so i know <laughs> the exciting part now here's an, a couple other reasons why we've got to review those limits we've got to make sure while we're doing it that children can be heard mm. there is it doesn't work if we go in and silence them yeah and i know you know i have that feeling sometimes i want to say to our kids hey Enough. Just be quiet. I don't want to hear anymore, right? But they have to be heard. So in this process, we have to allow them opportunities to express how they feel and what's happened. We just have to make sure when they do it that we don't choose sides from their statements. So we've got to be really open to that. So the next thing we're going to do once we review is we're going to simply ask what happened. Now, that needs to be from both sides, you know, both sides of what's happening here. Now, a good way, oftentimes parents will say, but, you know, who do I start with or how do I do this? Just alternate. Just start, yeah. Today's fight, start with your son. Yep. Tomorrow's fight, start with your daughter. Then go back to your son. That's you always simple, start right? with her. Shush. You can hear it. And that just brings up more fight yeah. and now I don't want to be calm, right? Yeah. So we've got to do that. The next thing you're going to ask is you're going to ask how do you feel? 
So you want to connect the the we story do. and the actions to the feelings. We want to connect what's going on. So we're going to ask how they feel. Once we ask how they feel, and remember, both siblings are listening. You don't banish one, yeah. Go, right? Yeah. The only reason you're going to separate them is if it's so fuming and so bad that someone needs a closed door. Hmm. If someone needs a closed door, go with them. Listen yeah, to them go, behind that door. That'll deflate the emotion. Right. And then go ahead and come back. Remember when you're listening, you're still not taking That's sides. Great. So once we ask how do you feel and we listen, you're then going to say to them, how do you think your sibling feels? That's gonna. That's the change. That's because exactly now I right. get feeling here, and now you're working on empathy, right? And then, how do you think they feel? Right. And when you do that, oh. you're going to ask for a restatement. Ask them, how do you think they feel? Now, to wrap things up, once you finish, you're going to then ask each child, what can you do to help your sibling feel better? Not oh. yourself. Not what yeah. do you need, but you're going to say, you know, like to our son, hey, what can you do to make your sister feel better? See, that's problem solving. Right. And now you've helped them. Remember, we aim so that they can solve their own conflicts. Yeah. So this might take a little bit longer sure. the first five, ten times. And blow it, but it's still better than the right. beat down. But <laughs> than the spanking, than yeah. the, the, you know, abolishment. Right. And then after that, they're going to be able to think through in their own minds, okay, wait a second, we're fighting. Let's review what we should be doing. How yeah. is this making her feel? And work through that. It's it's really that simple. So we're teaching empathy and we're teaching them to recognize that the world, it, it doesn't revolve around. I love it. Well, I love it. And it's now a skill that it they is. can use long in long their term, life. Right? Oh, so, with those relationships. You did it again, Hadge. Appreciate you. Uh, again, go to familyvolley.com. Go check out her book, Family Fun Fridays. Heather Ann Johnson. She's back. She's back every other week, for heaven's sakes. Every other week. We get to pick the brain. <laughs> we'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, coming up next, BYU Sports Nation and our great friends, Spencer and Jerem, up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. That's the hoedown music, which means grab your banjo and your straw hat. And we will now go to Studio B with uh, BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. Dr. Matt. Yo. Hello. Hey, so hello, uh, Governor. <laughs> is, there, is there another, like, besides the hoedown music, are we ever going to have, like, another intro music bit? Or is it always no. going to be the hoedown? It's, for, for you guys, it's always the hoedown. Always <laughs> and forever. No, no. Always and forever. It will be um, – we, we, we may be changing some music up coming up. Do you have, a, do you have any choices? Any I, type like, of... I like the hoedown. I was just wondering if we could get like some death metal, heavy rock. At, wow. You know, just, just like Straight out of Compton. Just like mix it up. You know? <laughs> Probably not that. No, you know, um, we're kind of old-fashioned here. We, on BYU Radio, yeah. stop it. We like to. We were going to have some playing to the oldies, okay. But yeah, that just didn't. I th- we thought that conflicted with your young hip nature. <laughs> just a little, just a little Pearl Jam every now and then. Listen, hurt, I you love know? the hoedown, man. You know, we'll, we'll give you some ne- t- next time tomorrow. We're going to throw in a curveball. I'm not kidding you. It is in my head every day. Well, I see you. I see you like do a little kind of skip walk. <laughs> I don't know what you call it, like the where you're like kicking your boots up and you've yeah. got your finger, your your thumbs in your belt. I don't know. I don't know what. <laughs> what Jeremy, what do you call the that hill, move? I don't know. The heel, the heel kick, dipsy yeah. do, or whatever. You know it's what called. it is. Yeah. Well, I thought Jeremy. I thought you were a big um, square dancer. No. Oh. 
It's funny. You just Jerem's look... a mosher. He's a mosher? <laughs> yeah. He's a mosh pitter? Yes. What's Jerem? Why are you stretching, Jerem? Are we boring you? What's uh I'm tired, man. <laughs> He's going for I a don't stretch. Get, we don't get up as early as you guys. But... I know. What yeah. is your complaint? I uh, No, I have no complaints. I'm happy hey, to be here. Tomorrow, 440, I'll call you. 440. No, no thanks. I'll check in. I choose not to uh, participate. <laughs> <laughs> did you Did you guys see that basketball game last night? Wait, there was a basketball game last night? There was a game. Oh, who was Yeah, it was playing? good until the very end. Duke and Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, the that, Dukies! That, oh! was, that was unbelievable. Great, great you. atmosphere. Great game. Big, eight, uh, I think in 18 years they haven't had a, a bigger audience, viewing audience. That's it's got to be a was. terrible seat, though, if you're in the yeah. upper deck how in much a football is the stadium watching a seat? basketball game. That's what I want to know. If you're, if you're like fan number 90,000 and you're <laughs> yeah. at the very top in a football stadium, how much are you paying? Well, Too much. probably 20 bucks, and but then the bathrooms may not work, depending on the stadium you're at. Here's what they do, though. They have You're talking about Wrigley Field. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Oh my goodness, that was awful. <laughs> they have ridiculously nice plasma HD, forty yard long yeah. screens that so you can go and be in the atmosphere and hear the noise and then just enjoy the game on a crystal clear. I was monitor. watching from home yeah. for free ninety free. Oh, I'm I'm not <laughs> saying that that's not a great option either. But if you want to experience like you that's want to crazy. be at the right. place. But you, you, uh, to me, if the basketball is like the size of, I don't know, um, <laughs> a decimal point, like a peanut uh, from like uh, yeah. fifty feet away. I mean, don't you think you, you, you miss it? But I guess if you're Wait, a big did that fan, go in? was are they are they playing? Yeah. yeah. To me, it's weird. But you know what? Again, this I'm a very simple man. I would rather go to my home, eat a little burrito. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eat a regular size burrito. Okay, <laughs> eat a huge burrito and just watch the game and just, you know, sit there in my robe. But Doctor Matt, you're a doctor. <laughs> Your robe. You're a doctor. Can't you afford the front row seats at the Final Four? Of course. <laughs> of course, I can. <laughs> I choose. Assistant coach Tim Lacombe was at the game. I choose not to. He is. He was. Yeah. I don't wow. know if he's there now still, but he was last night. Hey, how's BYU gonna look this next year? Which what, sport? Bueno? Which sport? Uh, in Oops. hockey. In hockey. No, hockey. In, they were really bad. Are, are My we get, old bishop was their coach. Prognosis we can, is not we good. We can do Matt. better, Bishop. In, how about basketball? BYU basketball is an interesting case because it's kind of a wait and see with Kyle Collinsworth whether or not he's going to wait know, what t- take the leap and try and go into oh. the NBA, NBA draft. I, I'm, I don't think he is either, but like he hasn't made it official yet. Oh, he came on the show yet last week. Yeah. he ain't going pro based no, on his comments. He, no, he called me this morning. He's like, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to stay. He'd be like, I'm staying. Sweet. Yeah, he didn't talk to me. So we're 99.9% sure Kyle Collinsworth is staying. And because of that and what BYU brings back and yes. transfers, like, I, yes. I feel like BYU is taking another step in the right direction. Lone Peak member of the trio, part two, Nick Emery, younger brother of Jackson Emery. He'll be uh, back. He'll be, he's a freshman. He's been back for a couple months. He's training, getting ready. Kyle Davis, Utah State transfer, is going to be a good player. Oh. Uh, he was a he was a nine and seven guy at Utah State, but uh, I think he could be BYU's leading scorer this upcoming season. Plus, yeah. we'll be we'll have a new facility, so they'll be able to practice even better in two years. Uh, um, oh, really? But, but the yeah, uh. they'll break ground on it, but it will take a year and a half. Uh, Still, the, be- the Marriott Center will be renovated yes. starting in a couple of weeks, okay. uh, and then the next time you see BYU play a game in October. For the Cougar tip-off, it will be all blue seat, awesome. new video screens, LED boards. It will look awesome. 
Hardly wait. What uh, what else are you guys talking about today? Okay, so it's funny you bring up the college basketball topic because Andy Katz, ESPN college basketball insider, like one of the guys, yeah. said, can we just get rid of the crutch of calling any team that's not in a Power 5 conference a mid-major? And he was referencing basketball teams specifically. He said Gonzaga, BYU, Wichita State, not mid-majors. Ah. So that got me thinking, okay, well, now there's this growing trend across the country from the SEC and the ACC, these two major conferences, and Brett McMurphy of ESPN on the college football side saying, look, BYU is like unto a P5, but they're not. So what are they? They're Mm. not a G5. They're not officially a P5, but they're being included in these P5 lists. So how do you define BYU football right now, given the trend that's happening? It's a Zoolander question. Do you want my answer? I'll give you an answer. I would love your answer. Super de-duper. Super de duper. What's a Thanks, what's a G five and a P five? Okay, G five is a group of five, which is five uh, okay. conferences grouped together that yeah. are not the in power money football. conferences in college football. So the Mountain West, the American, uh, the American Sun Belt, the MAC, and Conference USA. Conference USA. Very good. Okay, so those those are the group of fives. BYU is not in a group of five, but they're not in a power five conference, which is the SEC, the ACC, yeah. the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, and the Pac twelve. They're hmm. somewhere in the middle. So what do you want to call them? We don't know. That's the that's the discussion. What do you call BYU? I know. I'll tell you on the show. Oh wow, that's a tease, right? There. I know what I think. They're in the ESPN conference. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> you know, that's nice. <laughs> you know what? Your your show's a lot harder to understand than my show. <laughs> I feel. I we need feel. to create a BYU Sports Nation translation guide. You do. Yeah, there. Yeah. I need to play. Too many acronyms. P five, ACC, WCC. Yeah, yeah, you guys. That's a lot of acronyms. It's like you're in the Air Force or something. Hmm. Was there a, a Niner in there? Niner over. Roger that. I need uh, to tell you the Niner story from uh, when I was serving my mission in Korea sometime, Matt. Okay, well, hold on. I'm going to write that down because that would be fantastic. <laughs> the Niner story yeah, and from dealing, Korea. We called them English spazzes, people that refused to speak Korean to us, even though their English was terrible. <laughs> And what we would do. Okay, that is, we've got to talk, that'll be tomorrow. <laughs> this is great. Spencer, Spencer's teaching me just a couple of Korean words. So we went to a Korean sushi place. In oh, Vegas. wow. Korean so he sushi. He taught me, which is bring it, but it's not, it's nice. It's like, bring it. Yeah. So I said to the guy, I said, Kajigawa. <laughs> bring it. And then he looked at me and he just laughed, like, how did you know that? And why did you say that so rudely to me? <laughs> Was yeah. he a fa- Like, yeah. Be he, he just laughed Jerem, like you know. I have no just clue. as an expert here, be careful. Yeah. Don't, let, don't let a man <laughs> put <laughs> words in your mouth. That's going to be. You're going to get slapped one day. Yeah. Hey, guys, uh, good stuff. Have a great show. Tomorrow we'll do the, uh, the Niner story. Joosunida. Ooh. Uh, Specken Sie Deutsch? Yeah, uh, nope, I don't. Spricken, Spricken Sie Deutsch? <laughs> anyway. Dr. Matt for the win. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Keep butt up. What a crazy group of people they are. Have you guys noticed? They, I, at the very end, couldn't understand a word they were saying. Was it my hearing? There, or? There's some severe codified language Were they going speaking on. a different language? A little bit. Like when they were talking G9 and G5? Yes. I was like, I, I didn't know. Uh, it was bingo. But I, it makes sense now. That, G, yeah, is it G9 or G5? P, P, P5, P the five, Power 5. Power 5, Power 5. And then there's the G5, the group of five. See, I'm thinking of like the G20 and the G – I'm thinking of countries and, you know, the What it G7. really comes down to is the conferences that matter and the conferences that don't matter. Where does BYU fall when they're not in a conference? Yeah.
Now, no one wants to say that, but that's what it is. But again, didn't understand what they were saying. And yeah. then at the very end, it sounded like they were talking Korean. It was. Or not. It's, Since I don't know Korean to verify. It's a crazy It's a crazy deal. Um, we've had a show. That show. The show is done. Our show is done. I have three stories for you. Can you you need them? to pick one. Okay. Uh, okay. You've okay. got one minute. One minute? You know, yeah. one minute. You have two minutes. Okay. Then I'll just, just give you one. I'll minute. give you two stories. Yeah. YouTube, high pace, highest paid star, or Facebook cookies? YouTube, highest paid star. What do you think is the highest paid? Who is the highest paid star on Facebook? Who would you think that is? I know is? who it is, and I can't remember his name, but he has like 9 million followers. 35 million vol- followers, I bet. It's no, that, it's like nine. It's six, it nine. Six to nine. It's, yeah. And it's this young kid. No. What's his name? Um, Disney Collector BR. What? No. Yeah, no, no. Absolutely. Nope. No. no, I I was just highest reading an article paid about this. Star. Oh, he might be oh, the highest, highest paid. paid. Okay. Not views, yeah. Yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. The highest there, viewed one is PewDiePie. PewDiePie, thirty-five million yeah, subscribers. That's it. That's it. There he is thirty-five. Yeah, wow. there is a woman. Yeah, who makes videos unboxing Disney toys. Wow. She speaks in this high voice where you can't really tell if it's her voice or is she faking some sort of uh-huh. voice. But all she does is unbox Disney toys. Why? So, because she probably did it because it was fun at one point. Now she makes four point nine million a year on a YouTube channel unboxing toys. Wow! I know what I'm going to get my son to do. <laughs> because they have the pre-roll ads on YouTube. She also has sponsorships because they're Disney toys, and Disney found out quickly that because she unboxes toys then they see a bump in sales well, they probably, and, and then they send her all the toys so all she, she has to do is she open just a, a toy she's every a, day she's a marketing machine for disney toys that's crazy she opens toys and makes four million that guy has 35 million viewers but he's not monetized it to the fact that he's making 4.9 wow. million dollars <laughs> i'm in the wrong business i'm gonna go blew me away. oh man i've got to get i've got to get a youtube channel going yeah. Hey, folks, that's the show. Uh, you know, go visit YouTube. Help that lady make some money. We'll uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Remember, we can't do the show without you, so make sure you're back here. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>